My hunger is back. I am definitely experiencing hunger, craving carbohydrates, things like that, that I have not had in about eight months. I was on Manjaro from December through the end of August, and I have not experienced those types of hunger and cravings in a while. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me for another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. Just a quick reminder that we are now on a bi-weekly format in this second year of podcasting, and uh, anytime you want to listen to an older episode, the entire library of almost 60 episodes is up on SolvingType2Diabetes.com, and just pop on over there and listen to any of your favorite old episodes in between this new bi-weekly format. So I'm glad you're here. I want to talk a little bit about my past two weeks. Almost two weeks ago now, I had my doctor's visit. Now this was a routinely scheduled doctor's visit. And uh, what was interesting about this one is when I got my A1C results, it will be the last doctor's A1C for a while anyway that I get with Manjaro. You may remember that my insurance company denied my refill of Manjaro. So I am without that now. When I had this A1C blood work taken, about 12 of the 13 weeks that is reflected in the A1C test was still on Manjaro. And it was Manjaro by itself. By that point, I had already stopped the metformin and the Farsiga. So this A1C that I got was 4.8. 4.8. And if you're familiar with the A1C test, that is well below the pre-diabetes range that is deep into the healthy normal range. While I was very happy to see that result, an A1C of 4.8, it is a little disheartening knowing that is the effect of the Manjaro and my lifestyle that I'm able to have while on the Manjaro. And now that is in fact gone. In looking at uh, that result, the doctor was very pleased. But then I had to remind her almost that, hey, that's because of the medication that was stopped. And that low A1C is not going to continue at all with, at this point, no medication whatsoever. So she agreed and she started me back very slow and low. I am now currently, since my doctor's visit, am taking one tablet of metformin each day, one single 500 milligram tablet, which I think is the lowest dose that you could start. And metformin, if you remember my history, is the least effective for me of all the things that I've tried. So my A1C will not be that low when I go back again in December. But the doctor did say that, hey, track my 
average glucose using my continuous glucose monitor for a month and then call or send me a note and let me know what your A1C is doing. And I can tell you that it's up. Uh, my average blood sugar is up and we'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about uh, you know what I'm experiencing now without the Manjaro. It's, it, it's going to be going higher and it's going to be going higher uh, until we do something more and that's just really all there is to it. There's no way I can expect those same type of results when I'm not taking the medication that made that possible. That was my doctor's visit. Everything else was good. All the other blood work was fine. It's just that, in fact, the A1C was perfect, but the downside is it's not going to stay perfect. So I am taking that metformin again, 500 milligrams once a day. The side effects, if you have taken metformin or you know someone who has, the side effects are not great. Often GI side effects. And I do experience that with the metformin with uh, things not wanting to stay around very long if they're in a rush to come out. I do experience that now again with the metformin, but hopefully my body will readjust over the weeks to come and that will be less of an effect. So what I've noticed since I've been taking that, especially this week, I have been at Walt Disney World with a group of 10 of us, kids, spouses, grandkids, total of 10 of us at Walt Disney World now. And we've been here for now for almost one week we actually leave tomorrow, and I'm recording this from Disney's Saratoga Springs Resort. I am looking across the pond or across the lake at Disney Springs. It used to be called Downtown Disney, but it's Disney Springs now. And I'm looking at Giardelli's Chocolate and the Lego Store and Paddlefish Seafood Restaurant all right out the window. It's a great view. It's been a fun week. Uh, had lots of meals. My kids treated me to several good meals, and uh, that was a surprise, a very happy surprise. Uh, my birthday dinner was actually at Ohana at the Polynesian Resort, and Ohana is a, Ohana means family in Hawaiian, so it was very appropriate. But we had a nice big meal there, and uh, it's uh, basically family style, all you can eat. So they had all kinds of meats. They had chicken, pork, beef. Uh, very good stuff. And they even brought a huge tray of uh, tater, not tater tots, chicken McNuggets. Although I guess they can't call them chicken McNuggets. I guess that's trademarked. But chicken pieces and fries they brought for the little kids. And they really enjoyed that. So it was a good, great meal. Uh, we hit up Trader Sam's afterwards. And Trader Sam's is a cool little bar hideaway place they have there at the Polynesian. Uh, highly themed, very uh, animated, uh, great uh, staff there. Had a fun time. So it's been a great week. Uh, big meals, uh, lots of treats, partially because it's just Disney and partially because it's my 60th birthday. Now, when my wife and I are here by ourselves, we can eat in the room most times, plan things out like that for proper eating. But this was more of a, a go out and experience type week. Uh, we went to four parks, had a really great time. And so, yeah, lots of maybe more indulging than I normally would. And like I'll talk about later with Manjaro, but, you know, the Manjaro was not there to prevent me from wanting to do that. But I did get in plenty of walking, lots of good sleep. We did not rope drop. The only day we rope dropped, my wife and I, was Magic Kingdom. The other day's rope drop is when you are there waiting for when they drop the entry rope. It's a thing. The other days we strolled in maybe half an hour, 45 minutes after a rope drop, just so we could have a little bit more time in the morning. 
And we still got to the parks at 9 o'clock, even on those days. So that was my past two weeks. Let's take a look at the news. This first article here, I think, is going to be something that I recognize as something that helped me for sure because I had gone through a lot of weight loss and I think that helped with my lowering of my average blood sugar. But it's entitled, Abdominal Fat Plays Important Role in Remission of Prediabetes. Now, this is talking about prediabetes because that's how they did this study. But we do know that we can also put type 2 diabetes into remission. And by, what that means is you take medication and you have lifestyle changes that remove the high blood sugar so that your blood sugar readings while you're doing those changes and taking that medication is down in the normal range. But this particular article is about pre-diabetes, and that is the range right below the blood sugar range for type 2 diabetes. Typically, it's an average A1C of between 125 and 150, and when you have an, a, an average blood sugar reading between 125 and 150, they call that pre-diabetes. And for the vast majority of people, that simply leads into type 2 diabetes. What this study has shown is that reducing abdominal fat can help reverse prediabetes. So they did a study with folks who had been diagnosed with prediabetes, so their A1C was higher than 5.7, and 73% of those folks who reduced their abdominal fat, they showed that by a reduction in waist circumference of seven centimeters or more. And they got their, 73% got their blood sugar readings below the 5.7%. So, you know, that, that is a definite sign. Now, the problem is that if you don't continue whatever it is that did you, that allowed you to reduce that waist circumference, then you're pre-diabetes and eventually type 2 diabetes will likely come back because you'll add weight back on. So that's a key finding here is that in fact they have shown and they made no other changes other than reducing their intake so that they could reduce their abdominal fat. But it does show that doing that one thing, reducing abdominal fat, is enough to often reduce your blood sugar. Now if you want to look behind that, is that because they were eating better perhaps. Is that because they were maybe eating less sugar? Perhaps. But regardless, this is a good sign that just because you've been diagnosed with prediabetes doesn't mean that you will necessarily have to go on to type 2 diabetes. There are things you can do about it. That's encouraging. That's the first article. This next article here is something that is helpful, for, especially if you're in a place like Disney. Tips for dining out when you have type 2 diabetes. Just a few strategies. And that is, the first one they're starting with here is, before you go, read the menu. Know what you're going to have before you go. Have a game plan. Go with foods that you know that do not spike your blood sugar. And that's a way you can help yourself before you even go. The second tip here is, go ahead and have a treat. Go ahead and have something that's really good, but do it ultimate things for appetizer, main course, and dessert, maybe pick one where you're going to go a little bit out of your normal eating as a small treat. And also this next tip here is to savor your meal. Take it slow. Eat more slowly. 
And they say here because they believe that eating too fast can trigger proteins that increase insulin resistance and blood sugar levels. Their suggestion here, based on a study that was published June 2020 in the Annals of Pediatric Endocrinology and Metabolism, that the, the slower you eat, the less likely you are to have a extreme blood sugar spike. What to order? It says choose baked or grilled proteins. Opt for maybe a leaner protein. Make carbs the side, not the main attraction. Certainly have a salad, but then if you're going to have rice or pasta, instead of that being the center of the meal, making that just a smaller portion, or maybe a small side dish. Use the plate method. Many of you have heard of this, where say from noon to 6 p.m. on your plate, if your plate were a clock dial, maybe for those half of your plate, you eat uh, vegetables, salads, things like that. And then a quarter of your plate can be protein, maybe a little bit of fat, and then a quarter of your plate can be carbohydrates. Uh, also, obviously, control the portion size because that's going to make a big difference. What to avoid? And this is something that might be more difficult at Disney, but it says avoid excessive alcohol and sugary drinks. High calorie drinks is like the number one thing. That can be a Coca-Cola, that can be a Bahama Mama, things like that. The alcohol itself does not really hurt your blood sugar spike. So tequila, vodka, whatever, that doesn't really affect your blood sugar because that's actually metabolized more like a fat. It's the mixers, it's the stuff that you put in with the alcohol that typically does you in. Now, my go-to is either uh, Tito's, which is a vodka, with a Sprite Zero, or if they don't have Sprite Zero, I'll go with soda and then ask them to crush in a couple of limes. So that's a go-to that has almost zero carbohydrate, so it really does not affect my blood sugar. Now, I don't drink a lot. If I'm going out, I might have a few, but that's not often at all. The other thing is watch your sauces and your soups because they can put in a whole lot of calories in like a cream-based soup, cheeses in soups, things like that. That can add a whole lot of calories. But your sauces, your honey mustards, your barbecue, your teriyaki sauce, those can also have a lot of sugar. So watch out for that. And then, of course, after your meal, move your body. Also drink some water. Those are some things that can help reduce a blood sugar spike. So I think that's a very good article. Hopefully that's helpful to you. The next one here, now this is near and dear to my heart right now. What a coincidence for this article to come up this week. This article is entitled, How to Deal with Metformin Diarrhea and Other Yucky Side Effects. And I did mention this earlier. That is one of the most common side effects of metformin, and that is GI, gastrointestinal distress. And it's unfortunate, but it happens with any metformin drug, glucophage, glucometza, uh, Reomet, Fortimet, these other named uh, medications, they're all basically metformin. But it can cause diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. It takes maybe a few weeks, several weeks for someone to get used to this medication. And sometimes it doesn't ever get better. And you wonder, why does this happen? Metformin increases your glucose uptake inside your intestine. Uh, that's one thing that can, that can cause that. Uh, it's also possible that it's altering the gut biome and the gut-brain-liver axis, which is something good to look up and read about, the gut-brain-liver axis. 
It can also increase bile acid within the intestines. All these things can lead to uh, GI uh, distress. One thing that they say here might be helpful is to try the extended release formulation of metformin. Maybe your doctor can give you a, an extended release version of the drug. Also, they recommend to always take your metformin with meals. My doctor actually says take it one hour before meals so that it's in your system by the time your carbs hit your system. So either with your food or slightly before your food, depending on what your doctor says. And you can also take an over-the-counter to treat your side effects. You take one medication, now you have to take another medication because of that medication, but that helps sometimes. Also, talk to your doctor maybe about switching. Obviously, Farsiga is something I used in the past. Manjaro is something I used here in the recent past. Finally, you can just stick it out. For most people, after a few weeks, these symptoms do go away or at least are minimized. The joy of metformin. All right. The next article here is basically an explanation of what is insulin resistance. And this article, I, I really got to recommend for all the people who either are newly diagnosed or just really want to get into the, what is this they're talking about all the time for insulin resistance? And insulin is often described as a key that unlocks the doors to your body cells. It allows the glucose to enter and to be used for energy. So people with insulin resistance, it's almost like that lock that insulin is supposed to unlock. It's like that lock becomes rusty, making it difficult for insulin to open the door to the cell. So initially, the pancreas tries to produce more insulin to help move the glucose into the cells. But as the blood glucose levels remain high for a while, it just can't produce enough. And then the glucose builds up in the blood, and then this resistance to insulin just gets worse and worse because it's a cycle that just keeps going. The trick is to reduce your risk for this insulin resistance. Now, how do you do that? Excess weight. If you're carrying excess weight, as we said, especially around your abdomen, that can be an issue. Also, if you just sit on the couch all the time and really don't get in any movement, you're not burning up that sugar. But if you go for, like I do, regular long walks, that definitely helps to use up that sugar that's circulating in your blood. It also can help you lose some of that excess weight. Certainly, take in less sugar to avoid this excess sugar in your bloodstream. Get rid of that highly refined carbohydrates. We talk about that a whole lot. And then poor sleep, they say. Poor sleep can also, because it affects other hormones in your body, can also impact your ability to use insulin. Look that up. Look at that article. It's really helpful when we're talking about reducing the impact of insulin resistance. Finally, this last article I'd like to talk about here is managing diabetic neuropathy. Now, what is diabetic neuropathy? Neuropathy is when you're having issues with nerves, often caused by issues with circulation in your extremities. You can uh, get tingling or numbness in your fingers or in your toes or in your feet. Um, that's a, a long-term uh, result of having a high blood sugar. And also, smoking is something else that can uh, lead into that, as well as a heavy alcohol use. All these things together can make diabetic neuropathy or, or lack of sensation or tingling in your feet and toes reduced. Now, something to keep in mind is that it's not just tingling and whatnot, but oftentimes when you get a lack of feeling, let's say in your feet, 
and you stub your toe, you might not even realize how bad it is, but you could get a cut, get an infection. You lose sensation, the ability to pull away. For example, when a child touches a hot stove, they know not to do it again because it hurts. If you have this diabetic neuropathy and you get hurt and don't realize it, you could get an infection. It can get worse and worse. You'd normally have a very painful situation, but if you don't realize, that's where people, you know, can start to get uh, infections that can cause amputations, things like that. So it's a real thing. You definitely want to watch out for this. And if you do experience it, you have to be very vigilant on caring for your feet, things like that, because you have to pay more attention because your body's natural signals, because your nerves aren't working, your body's natural signals aren't there to help you figure it out when you're actually having this problem. The main topic for this week was, what am I experiencing now without the Manjaro? So let's talk about that for a minute. And the first thing that I certainly can say here for a fact that I've been experiencing is a higher average blood glucose. For example, for the past two weeks since my doctor's office, my average A1C, no, my average blood glucose, 24-7 blood glucose for the past two weeks as measured by my continuous glucose monitor is 160, 160. And that is into the type 2 diabetes range. So even though I'm taking this Manjaro, my average is still 160. Now I don't know what it would be without it. I'm not going to do an experiment because I need all the help I can get right now. So my average is 160. So that is just into the uh, type 2 diabetes range. Uh, type 2 diabetes is 6.7 or above on an A1C or an average of 150 blood sugar, 24-7 reading. So at 160, I'm just into that average that's high enough to be classified as type 2 diabetes. Also my GMI, my glucose management indicator, that's a calculation that the CGM does to mimic an A1C. For the past two weeks now, that average is 7.1. That is definitely in the range for type 2 diabetes. Again, anything higher than 6.7. Now, it's not 11, it's not 12, but still 7.1 is much higher than I've been experiencing. You'll remember that the A1C test I just got back for, let's say the three months of summer, that was an A1C of 4.8. So this two week reading calculated by my CGM is certainly much higher than that. It is 7.1. So that's certainly something I've noticed since stopping the Manjaro is that my blood sugar in fact is going up. Now, I can work on that even harder with my lifestyle, with my carbohydrates. And honestly, I have eaten quite a few carbohydrates at Disney this week. So this is not a normal week. So we will see now going home tomorrow. We'll see what it's like having some normal meals at home. Also, my hunger is back. I am definitely experiencing hunger, craving carbohydrates, things like that, that I have not had in about eight months. I was on Manjaro from December through the end of August and I have not experienced those types of hunger and cravings in a while. While taking the Manjaro, it was very easy to eat only small portions, not really crave carbohydrates particularly, sometimes not have time for a meal and not really care. It was certainly different than it is now. It's back down to what I'm gonna say normal living is. I noticed that not having this Manjaro, it's a game changer. I 
I'd almost forgotten what it was like to deal with hunger and cravings and things like that. So certainly the Manjaro itself is also um, was also helping my blood sugar recovery, I'll say. So if I did eat carbohydrates, I noticed that the blood sugar would go up with Manjaro, but then it would come right back down. Now, if I have some simple carbs, some refined carbs, and I get that sugar spike, not only does it go higher than it did with Manjaro, but it stays high for several hours. This is definitely back to type 2 diabetes without Manjaro. There's a, a stark night and day difference. If you are dealing with type 2 diabetes and you can get prescribed and get uh, approved for Manjaro, oh man, I envy you now because uh, I remember those days and uh, it is very different uh, without the Manjaro. Now, my doctor does prescribe it. She's okay prescribing it. Uh, but the insurance company won't cover it. So I have to choose whether or not I want to spend $1,000 a month out of my pocket, and I'm not ready to do that yet. Uh, quite frankly, that would be difficult for me. But right now, I'm. this was a weird week at Disney where I ate with abandon. But when I get home now, I can get things back under control. My 60th birthday is over, and hopefully if it doesn't come back down, we can prescribe other medications, maybe go back on the Farsica. I'm definitely noticed a dramatic difference now that I've been uh, one month without the Manjaro. The last dose of Manjaro was I think the last week of August. So yeah, we're right at one month away from Manjaro. So I miss it. But now let me, there are a couple of positive things. I do seem to not have, even though I have a little bit of GI distress with the metformin, it's not as much as with the Manjaro. Uh, I will say with the Manjaro, I often did have what I'll call a sour stomach in that I just didn't feel like eating because my stomach was a little upset. And that is a side effect of the Manjaro. It's a trade-off, but man, the Manjaro certainly does work. And I appreciate the folks who developed that. And quite frankly, I wish I, I was still able to uh, have it. Okay, let's look at questions that you've sent in, questions and comments. There are two ways to send in your questions and comments if you would also like to contact me here. The first is to quickly just send me an email. My email address is tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com and of course uses the number two, solvingtype2diabetes.com or pop over to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com and click on feedback. You'll find a link to the website right in the show notes. And also over at the website, you can find the entire uh, transcript. You can find all the old episodes, social media links, all that kind of good stuff. SolvingType2Diabetes.com and click on feedback. All right, this first letter coming in is from Candy. Candy says, hi, Tom. Happy birthday. Well, thanks. Add me to the list of missing you on Mondays. Ha. No worries, though. I just listen to more teacher podcasts on your day off. I vote keep your day off unless you miss creating. I've been trying to walk my border collie nearly every day all year long, and podcasts get me through it. He's a new dog, and I'm a new human. My dentist says my gums were bad from type 2 diabetes. I think I was just a little lazy with using the water pick. I technically don't have it, but I'm insulin resistant and have other medical concerns. She saw my Manjaro prescription and made an assumption. So based on her comments, I gathered it can cause gum problems. 
a possible topic I'm going through is having a lot of stress going on with inflation and I see it affecting what I'm eating. What are some healthy, cheaper things you all like to cook? My favorite thing right now is celery and peanut butter. Thank you, Candy, for writing in. Hope your gum things get straightened out there. What are some healthy, cheaper things we like to cook? We cook a lot of meat. And I'm not sure how cheap that is compared to other things. Beans are also good. Chili, chili with beans. What else do we like to cook? Nothing fancy, I can tell you that. You say here, my favorite thing right now is celery and peanut butter. Okay, that sounds great. If anybody has ideas for healthy, cheaper things that you like to cook, please send a note in and we'll read that out to Candy. But Candy, thank you very much for writing in. The second note here is from our friend Steve from Glendale. I don't know why I always say he's from Glendale, but I just that's how I know this Steve from other Steves is this Steven's from Glendale. Steven writes, Hi Tom, glad to hear you had a wonderful 60th birthday down in Disney World. I wanted to thank your listener Claudia for her mention of the Ologies, O-L-O-G-I-E-S podcast, Ologies podcast. I just listened to the one with endocrinologist Dr. Mike Natter, a type 1 diabetic himself. Very nice discussion on diabetes, physiological causes, management, theories regarding our chronic disease. Since he's based in NYU in Manhattan, I might look him up for an appointment, although I'm very happy with my current endo. I figure it can't hurt. Also, I'd like to thank Kathy for mentioning diabetes and oral health. I'm surprised your dentist never talked about gum health and oral hygiene. My dentist, several over the years, always maintained that I should never skip my cleanings and exams, particularly since I have diabetes. High sugar levels in the blood can also be high in your saliva too, which can lead to tooth decay, cavities, gum, periodontal disease, increased bacteria in the mouth, and maybe infections. Definitely not good for us diabetics. Again, thanks to Claudia and Kathy, and welcome back, Tom. Maybe one day I'll see you on the trail. We've been on the trail at Colebrookdale Railroad. All right, Stephen, thanks very much for writing in. And yes, very good information about your endocrinologist that you discovered that's near you, and also all the great information your dentist has given you. And that's certainly something to consider. I think it's great when you all can help each other and by writing into the show and certainly it's appreciated when you take the time to thank uh, those people have sent in information so again if you would like to get in on the conversation just hop on over to the solving type 2 diabetes.com website and click on feedback but thank you very much to Stephen and Candy for writing in so what's next next this time in two weeks I'd actually like to talk about something practical. Low-carb lunch ideas. Because most of us eat lunch, although Gordon Gecko says lunch is for losers or suckers. I can't remember what he said. Anyway, go watch the movie Wall Street and see what he says. But I eat lunch often, and I want to share with you some low-carb lunch ideas and this might help with also answering uh, Candy's question although I don't typically cook a lot of lunches so these might be uh, colder lunches although winter's coming back up so we'll have to see so that's next time low carb lunch ideas
Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.